All right, episode 46 with Jeff Way. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, it's fun. I've been listening to this show for a lot, especially, you know, in the last few months. So, yeah, it's fun to be on here. So, uh, those of us in the Laravel PHP world, uh, every single person knows Jeff Way, but uh, for, you know, the other segment of our listeners who are bootstrappers and startup folks, uh, maybe you could do a little intro of yourself, Jeff, and uh, a little background and what you're up to now, and then we'll dive into a whole bunch of questions we have for you. Yeah, sure. Uh, so my name is Jeffrey Way. I'm a developer. Uh, I've been doing various stuff for the last, you know, six or seven years. Everything from, you know, I was doing like contractor work for medical companies, really boring stuff. Like right. these companies that would sell like, you know, those like $500,000 medical supplies. I would build the sites for that. So lots of little stuff like that. And then I just kind of randomly, I came over to to a site called Envato, and they were building up this network of sites called Touch Plus. And at the time, there was this site called uh, NetTouch Plus, and it was like brand new. There might have been 500 subscribers. And uh, it was I was kind of getting into this stuff. I was, I was learning a lot of new technologies, and I was writing about it a lot, really less for, for other people and more, you know, almost like a journal so that I could right. come back to it and refer to it. Because, you know, this, this the coding is so hard. So you learn it and then you forget it and you have to go through that cycle like five <laughs> times before it finally sticks. So I would write these blog articles and people started reading them. I never expected that. I wasn't even thinking about it. So then I thought, oh, I'll write an article for this NetTouch site. They actually pay people, so that might be sort of fun. Right. And then through just kind of luck of the draw, their editor disappeared and I had an open slot. So almost immediately I became the editor of that site. <laughs> and ran it yeah like i didn't even you know campaign for it it was just <laughs> they were in a bind you. and it was so new and i was right. writing every week so th- that was kind of fortunate and yep. i ended up running that site for about five years and since then net touch has just gotten really huge and then they changed everything up and i i left envato uh, to create my own site specifically for like laravel and php training so it's it's sort of like everything that I wish I could have done at Envato, but obviously you can't because right. like at Envato I can't just focus on Laravel. We had to cover everything, right. and that was one of the things like why I left. Uh, in terms of an education standpoint, we were teaching like WordPress and Python and Laravel and Ruby and all of these things, and I started realizing I was running a a site that I didn't use. You know, like right. most people, once you get to a certain level, you're reading small blogs especially as developers, you're reading like individual person's blogs and things like that. So when it came to a site where it's like one day there's a WordPress tutorial and another there's a Ruby, it just, it's, it's like you're trying to appeal to everyone. So you almost end up appealing to no one. It becomes more like about the search engines and stuff. It seems like at that point, it's like, oh, we have all this content to cover everything. But if you're just a person who wanders in and, you know, it's hard to get engaged with that on a day in, day out kind of basis because it's, it's all yeah, over exactly. the place. And it's like, yeah, we had search, but at the same time, like, at least for me as a viewer, I want to feel like a site is sort of tailor-made for me rather than just going to some kind of educational site where they may have something that would appeal to you, but you'd have to hunt around for it. So I I created this site called Laracast, especially because I was really getting into Laravel and uh, just lots of the PHP community is just going through the roof right now. And I, I really wanted to, you know, try to evangelize that as much as I could. 
So yeah, I, I built a site. It's entirely dedicated to modern PHP and Laravel and the entire ecosystem. And yeah, it's been pretty successful. So I'm, I'm very lucky to have that. Yeah, no, Laracast, um, oh my God, we have so much stuff to, just to cover with Laracast, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the best site for online training I've ever used. Like, I mean, I've, I've used all the schools, this school, that school, all, you know, the NetTuts and similar type sites where there's kind of one-off stuff. Um, nothing is like Laracast. So it's... Thank you. It's, it's, a, it's visionary. It really is. It's amazing. Like, I, and I've never met anybody who has used it who isn't fanatical about it. That's my favorite part of it is, <laughs> is like anybody you talk to who's used it, they're like, that's the best ever. Jeffrey Way's is awesome. He's insane. He's the best. Like everybody's excited about it when they, when they use it. And so uh, that's always a hard bit of magic to, to conjure up when you're building a product that's not, you know, you can think of, uh, I have a market and I have an audience and mm-hmm. um, there's a need for this and all that kind of stuff. But, um, to capture that magic is trickier. So that's, you know, to me, one of the biggest kind of parts of the success of Laracast is, is capturing that and just getting that fanaticism out there. I was just yeah. looking at it um, yesterday for some research, and I, I've, I've looked through the videos before, mm-hmm. and that's the, just the content, sort of the user-facing uh, content. But I, I specifically looked at, like, the ad copy, and that really impressed me like just from a person who runs a bunch of sites for products and whatnot um i really like your ad copy you worked on all that yourself like yeah the sales like ad copies. that was that was one of the other reasons i created Laracast was when i was working at envato i was very much just focusing on one little fragment and what is it like you know it's like the um I remember watching this documentary about like the the rise of McDonald's and Mm -hmm. they had this situation where the people they would hire would sort of do everything. And then they realized, well, wait a minute. If we just have this one person do the fries and this one person do the burgers, then if they, you know, leave or get fired, when you hire a new person, it's so much easier to pull them on because they only have to focus on one thing. And that's kind of normal for most companies. But the problem with that is like I was doing the same thing every day and I got to a point where I was like, well, I'm not learning anything new. I have all these things I want to to learn about, but I just never have time to do it. So creating Laracast was was partially to to help kind of evangelize the, the PHP movement, but also just to give myself some time to you know, experiment with with things like marketing and copy and doing more front end work than I'd done in the past. Mm-hmm. So it's it's been like a, a ridiculous challenge trying to do all of it on my own. But I've I've learned more in the last six months than I have in the last couple of years. So yeah, I, it's been fun. And so I want to get to kind of the the background of it. So I don't want to skip over that because um, I think that's an interesting part of, you know, people are always like, what, where do I get my ideas for a product or how do I come up with an idea, all that kind of stuff. And with Laracast, um, so you got involved in Laravel pretty early. I don't know if it was when Taylor was already working at Userscape or if it was even before that, but it was around that time, I think. And uh, so maybe you can talk a little bit about that and then just the evolution of your kind of um, growth in the community. You're definitely one of the community leaders and and how that kind of evolved and I assume then Laracast kind of came out of that, you know, as you got more involved in Laravel and then you had these other ideas and the kind of desire to, you know, do your own thing and be able to focus on different areas. But, um, you know, it's interesting that evolution from little project you're, you tinker with to a company. Yeah, my whole career. Right. Oh, oh that's a, a big question. 
So <laughs> how did I discover Laravel? Well, I was I was kind of at a crossroads. Like a few years ago, the PHP community was just kind of stagnant, you know, and I was doing more and more Ruby on Rails work. And I really like Rails and Ruby is just a, a great language. So I was doing more of that stuff. But, you know, I always I liked PHP. People are very hard on PHP, the language. Right. But in reality, like at least from my experiences, what the things people hate about PHP don't necessarily affect your everyday programmer right. that quite much. Like people always bring up little things like, oh, the order of the arguments is switched based on, you know, this or that. Right. And it's like, yeah, there's some weird things like that. But any developer worth his salt is probably using some kind of abstraction, in which case it's completely irrelevant and it doesn't yeah. matter at all. So I liked PHP, but at the same time, like, you know, the Rails community was just offering so much in terms of like the package system and and the framework itself was just ridiculously good. PHP, we had like CodeIgniter and of course Symphony, but CodeIgniter was kind of going down the tubes. It yeah. wasn't being updated quite as much. It was really starting to show its age. So I was just browsing around one day. I don't know where I saw it, maybe some kind of tweet. Right. And I checked out Laravel and I was looking through the documentation and like I've talked about this a few times. It just seemed to me like like Taylor knew what he was doing. You know, it wasn't just so many people write a framework or a package and then they just you know, throw it on GitHub, and if people use it, they do. If they don't, you know, fine. Right. But I, I got the feeling like Taylor knew that it's it's more than just the code. It's like kind of a mixture of of having a good brand. You know, as much as people knock Laravel for being, uh, you know, the idea of like uh, a framework for artisans and stuff, people attack that all the time. But right. it's really kind of a brilliant concept. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And well, that's I mean, why Laravel is so huge at this point. Like Go you ahead. said, I mean, the documentation is so, I mean, that's why I found Taylor and hired him to begin with and thought Laravel was great. Like that little thing that he took a couple of days, I'm sure, you know, a week, however long it took him to write the docs after he, you know, got the majority of the base of the framework done. I mean, that's, that's changed his whole life. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that's changed the direction of the things he could do because if he just threw it up on GitHub, and it was just here's here's PHP framework seven thousand four hundred fifty two, you know what I mean nobody would know about it. It would be nothing. But to take the time to make a decent site, to make some docs, I mean that that just is what made it early on there. You know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was really impressed by it. So I thought, you know, like most people, oh, I'm going to build a little toy project just to see what it's like. And it was, I got the feeling when I was working with it, it was like, man, everything I need to do here, it was like he had already thought about it and it made it so much simpler. So just the, the common things you have to do, like validation or, or uh, migrations or seeding database tables, all of that stuff, it was just already there. And so I'd find like things that would traditionally take me 20 or 30 minutes to write it was just already there it was so yeah. easy and then i started going on the laravel irc channel and i got to know dale and a bunch of people and it just seemed like the community was so nice especially yeah. like compared to some of the other communities i'd been a part of even yeah. like not to point specifically but just parts of even the ruby world that i was working on there was sort of this um kind of an arrogance a little bit I'm not trying to offend anyone, but that's just sort of what I picked up from it. A little bit of, of arrogance where if you don't know what you're doing, then just shut up. That sort yeah. of feeling. Well, there's and, also, too, they were king of the hill. I mean, there was nothing else. Right? They're the only people who even had a community. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Like there was, exactly. I mean, I guess Python might have a little bit. It's kind of like a, I don't know, I feel like it's a little more closed off. You don't, you don't hear as much about the kind of Python world. And PHP is just scattered everywhere, at least at that point. And so they're kind of 
where everybody just went because it's the only people that even have a community, you know, a few, four yeah. years back. So just to me, like some of these communities didn't really feel inviting to me. It didn't seem like the door was open to newcomers. But right. Laravel, it was it was completely like like I often say it's really cheesy. But Dale said something on IRC when I joined, like, welcome to the family. And it's very cheesy. But of course, like it was very nice to to be new to something and have people that were just more than willing to, to help you out and help you figure out some of this stuff. Yeah. So I just stuck with it and I kept using it more and more. And then Taylor started working on version four. And this was actually a good bit before version four was even released, but he was doing some crazy stuff that I just hadn't seen really almost anywhere. Like some of the, some of the, the reflection stuff he uses, I don't know, like how, how code specific can we get on this talk? Yeah. I mean, I think most of the listeners are developer, developer ish. So probably it's it's okay to get a little, little tech heavy. Uh, Okay. Well, just just some of the the cool reflection stuff he he was implementing to allow you to to resolve stuff out of the IOC container. It was like really brilliant stuff that made some of these things so much easier. So he was doing all this stuff that I just hadn't seen elsewhere. And I'm just the type of person. I'm an early adopter. I got excited about it, so I was writing about it, and like I was writing on NetTouch about it. I was writing magazine articles about it because you know I was just really excited about it. And then it came to a point, kind of like I was saying at the beginning of the podcast, where Envato was sort of going in a different direction. Touch Plus was going in a different direction than I would have chosen for the company. Right. And I wanted to more focus on a, a more narrow community and, and really just kind of create um, kind of an educational resource that I wish I had had when I was learning. So, yeah, that's the origins of, of Laracasts. And so... Obviously, it's called Laracast. It's it started out at least Laravel specific. Um, I, I guess Laravel specific might even be too specific, but it was focused around Laravel and the Laravel community. Um, so, which is one of I think that's kind of one of the interesting things about these offshoots from open source is that um, you could you can use that as the base of getting started. Like if you if you done some good work in the open source community, whether it's code or like in your case, it wasn't so much code that you were contributing back, but it was all these articles and different speaking on it and all those kind of things um, that then, you, you know, allows you to propel that into, uh, you know, the base of a, of a solid business, which is, you know, a, a kind of modern new way to approach that problem versus kind of traditional methods of trying to build up an audience in kind of more standard ways or with ads or things like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly, ex- exactly that. So at this point, Laracast, you know, certainly Laravel is usually the base of whatever the the content is. But I mean, we cover everything from I say we, but I mean I cover everything <laughs> from like regular expressions to 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 workflow to servers to IDEs, all of that stuff. The the basic rule I have for it is like, is it part of uh, kind of the PHP ecosystem? If it fits into that, then it goes on the site. Yeah, and I think what Laravel is kind of, you know, and it's not only Laravel, but a big part of what Laravel has brought kind of to the table in the PHP world is it's kind of brought the modern web stack to the PHP developer, you know? So then you end up covering things, you know, like the front end stuff like Gulp and Grunt and, and those sort yeah. of tools and modern IDEs and all, all those kind of things uh, that in the past, you know, a lot of content-driven sites were very siloed or it wasn't integrated in the same way. Your videos, yes, you're covering something that starts out as a Laravel controller, 
but then you're talking about the front end impact of that and you're showing all that together. Um, it's not a separate series on front end necessarily and things like that. So yeah, exactly. All of it's mixed together. It's not like anyone's just using this one technology, you know, day to day. You're using twenty different things, you know. So right. and it's it, yeah, because yeah, it's like it's how people work. That's how yeah. you really build things in the real world. Is you're five minutes in the controller and you're five minutes on the front tweaking something and you're over here doing something else. You're in the CSS or whatever. So um, it it always has that feel of like someone who's really building something versus uh, just kind of abstract. Here's how this function works and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Or sometimes you'll watch a video like lynda.com does this a lot where you watch the video, but it's just completely composed of slides. And right. <laughs> like on one hand, that's I guess that's a good way to to learn because you get to see the diagrams and how things connect. But for me, like I always found like it would almost put me to sleep a little bit. And I was always learning most, like, I just want to see somebody in their editor just doing, you know, their day-to-day work. So I watched things like even in the old days uh, in the .NET world, I did a little of that. There was a guy named Joe Stagner that he would do very similar to what Laracast was. Mm. It was .NET work, but he'd just turn on uh, record. He'd start doing a screencast, and he would just cover something directly within his editor. No No diagrams, no slides, no no on-camera work because really like that's just getting away from what you're really trying to see. And then many times like when you take that approach, you learn little things that aren't even related to the subject matter of the video. Little things like, oh, how did they generate that so quickly? Or, or oh, I didn't know that that's how you know, this method works or that that was available. So all these little things that you wouldn't get if you just did a slide-based video tutorial. And, you know, you keep people's attention because you're moving pretty fast. All right. Our sponsor again this week is Linode. Which we're really psyched to have them as a sponsor, as we've uh, talked to you guys about previously. We both both use Linode pretty heavily. Um, and it's been great of them to uh, show us support here. So, uh, you know, Linode is perfect for if you're just getting started or if you're deploying complex uh, you know, B2B systems. Launching Linode cloud servers is easier than ever. Um, we do it with API actually through um, Laravel Forge, as we've talked about before. Um, everything's fully customizable, super fast, which is something we've been really happy with, especially on their new um, all SSD platform that uh, that we have a lot of jobs on and that uh, the Laravel stuff is on. And, you know, it's more affordable than ever now. Ten bucks a month for the base server I mean, again, ridiculously uh, cheap, and that—that's uh, we run several things on those base ten dollars servers. So more than powerful enough for anything uh, you're just getting started with, or uh, or even throwing a few of them together. I mean, that's one of the kind of cool things too is you can use the Linode uh, load balancer um, to have a few web servers, have a database server separate from the web server, so you can kind of stretch those out rather than buying bigger servers. Throw a few ten dollars ones together. And uh, and kind of get that in some ways a more scalable solution for less money. You can check them out at promo.linode.com/bootstrapped. Um, same URL we've been giving before. Promo.linode.com/bootstrapped, and I'll be linked up in the show notes. And again, everybody who uh, is a listener of the show who goes uh, through that URL uh, can use the code. The uh, offer code BSFM50, so that's BSFM50, uh, and that'll get you 50 bucks off. So, again, if you sign up for the 
first tier server, 10 bucks a month, five months free, um, if you just use that code. So go check it out. Highly recommended, and thanks a lot, as always, to Linode for sponsoring the show. Now, Jeff, I wanted to, uh, Laracast is paid, right? You have like a monthly, a yearly, and a, a forever type yeah. of thing. Did you know that you wanted to do that right away, as opposed to doing like, like, I know there's like a billion people doing YouTube tutorials on various things and try to gain their audience that way or something? Yeah, I, I think I did pretty early. I mean, obviously, in a perfect world, everything would be free, but it's like at the end of the day, we have to put food on the table, right? So the option was I could make Laracast and make it free, but I can't put as much time into it. So I could do a video, you know, every one per week or one every other week. And then I just have to, you know, do my normal job. So what I wanted to do with this is like, well, what if my job was to to build the site and to create content and stuff like that. And then I started thinking like, what is the cheapest way I can do this? And so I came to this idea, like the price of lunch. Because uh, sometimes people would email me and say like, hey, could I buy you lunch and then you just show me this? And I thought, okay, well, that's kind of a cool idea. So, yeah, that, like, that's like bucks. one of the ad copy points that I was talking about earlier. You have an ad copy blurb basically like, buy me lunch once a month and I'll teach you all these things. Yeah, and also just, you know, to be honest, from a marketing point of view, it's a nice way to right. get people away from $9 and then compare it to like, oh, it's just the cost of lunch. That's nothing, right? right. From more of a business point of view. But um, yeah, I had to charge, unfortunately, just so so I could live. And $9 is cheap. I mean, yeah. so many of these sites are 25 a month or, or $39 a month. Some of them are. It's 9 bucks, And it's it's updated every every day. So I think it's a pretty good value. Well, that's one of the – I still have a few things I want to cover from the start of it. But one of the most amazing parts about it is when you launched it, I was like, oh, I, mean, I love it. It's great. But I have no idea how the heck he's going to have a video up there you know, every day uh, forever. And I'm it's like, hard. So he's going to run out and like – in, in a month, he's going to be out of content, and then that's it. But it's every day you have stuff, and it's all interesting. It's not like, oh, here's some filler he just threw out there. Like It's all good stuff, and I'm, I'm constantly blown away by that. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea to do, to do X, Y, or Z, or whatever you're doing that week. And it's amazing how you do that. That's a real talent there. Yeah, it's easily the hardest part of the entire job is just having content. So I basically have a spreadsheet of just everything – <clears throat> either that I want to learn or everything that I think other people would want to learn. So from that point of view, it's like amazing incentive to keep reading and learning and building new stuff. Because when I'm doing this, I'll encounter like, oh, I wish I had known that. And then that's a perfect you know, subject for, for some video. Anything from like, for me, like integration testing or repositories or all of that stuff is a perfect, you know, little bite-sized video that would help people. I always compared it to like, eight minute abs or something where it's like just watch like five or 10 minutes a day, just one a day. And at the end of the month, you'll have all of this new education that didn't really, re didn't really require much effort on your part. Now, do you, um, do you record just every day or every other day or do you do sit down and take a day and record a bunch of them and then run them for a couple of weeks? Like, uh, just it depends. Like recently, let's see, Laracast is really difficult because it's only me right now. Right. Um, so you can imagine with things like vacation, that gets right. pretty difficult. <laughs> I know how that so, is. So, yeah. So recently, like I went on, on vacation with my wife and it's like, well, I want to touch the computer as little as possible, but I can't just disappear. And then also it's like, if I'm gone for two weeks, then I need two weeks of content. I can't just suddenly say, sorry, I'll be back in two weeks to right. all the, the members. So 
sometimes it feels like going on vacation requires like twice as much work. So, so yeah, I ended up having to basically do double duty the week before to have enough content while I was gone. But then even things like, like handling support requests or, or what if the site goes down or you can never truly take a vacation. You can never truly take a vacation. vacation days are over. Yeah. So usually what it would end up is like when I'm on vacation, you know, like the hour when my wife is getting ready, I will run over to the computer and try to get as much done as possible. Right. And then I might do another hour at night, you know, just before I go to bed. And usually I'm able to stay on top of it that way. But yeah, I, I do hate it. It's like I can't just disappear and go off the grid for, for a couple of weeks. It's just it's too dangerous. You know, so- even for a small site like Laracast, I wouldn't risk that. So just from the uh, support perspective, I'm curious, um, I imagine with this kind of site, you don't get a lot of crazy support, but is it like just refunds and things like that or the occasional technical glitch? Or do you get people also just asking you questions? Hey, how do I do X, Y, Z? All of the above. Right. (laughs) It's honestly more than you would think. It's probably a couple dozen, maybe not a couple dozen, maybe a dozen a day. But that adds up. Yeah, no, for a content site, that does seem like a lot, you know, because... um, you know, obviously that's not all refunds and things. So, uh, yeah, that's people with other types of questions. So that's interesting. Yeah. And so sales. Yeah. It, it's everything from sometimes I'll get businesses where they want to sign up, you know, a number of people. So I have to work out some kind of group rate, right. uh, things like that. Sometimes, uh, sure there are bugs on the site. So people will report that. I'm happy for that. Right. Uh, then other <laughs> things like even, even where somebody submits a support request, there's a little note that says like, if you need help with something related to code, please just go to the forum. You know, it's right. like, I wish I could, I could help everyone, but if I did that, you know, you don't have any hours in the day left over for your own work. Yeah. So it's, uh, I send everyone over to the forum for code specific problems, but that doesn't stop people. I still get a bunch every day, which I try to help. And right. It's always I, a tough balancing act there. Yeah. It's like, I certainly want to help people as much as possible, but you know, between like email and Twitter and Laracast comments and then the Laracast forum, you could spend, it's a full-time job just answering questions, just related to, to various things. That's very, very difficult to manage for me. Yeah. Uh, so what else, what other kind of stuff I get? Many times, uh, any support requests I get are kind of a good indication for what I'm doing wrong. So like if somebody has, uh, like for example, for, for a specific subscription plan, I don't immediately show them their invoice. So sometimes I get people saying, can you send me an invoice? That's just something where it's a clear indication I need to provide that. So many times those just go on to to the little tickets that I have to get completed so that I can get rid of those types of, of support requests. Of course, yeah. That's, I mean, <clears throat> that's the upside of being a one-man show is that you know everything that's going on. So <laughs> you, you have access to every problem and everything that's bothering anyone ever. And you can assimilate all that info, hopefully, and uh, make the product better, which is in the early days is a super important part is just listening to your customers and, and putting that information to use you know, back in the product. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So when you started Userscape, was it just you and your wife? Yep. Yep, just us. And then she um, didn't work on it full-time. Uh, but, well, there was a phase where she ended up working out full-time after it had launched and we had enough sales that she could stop working. Uh, then she did work on it fairly full-time. Um, but, uh, yeah, but in terms of support and stuff, it was all me. And uh, she did a lot of like, testing and writing and those kind of things. And I, I would do 
development and support. And right. uh, yeah, it's hard. I mean, especially with with HelpSpot, it's you know people emailing you and you know it's broken and thirty people in their organization who do support can't do support and they're losing millions of dollars a day. So <laughs> so yeah, in, intense support requests. Um, but yeah, that's uh, but all that stuff was invaluable because then yeah, you use that to make the product better. Whether it's obviously bugs, but also yeah, just subtle things um, that can remove support requests altogether or uh, make something more logical. Right. So, so did you are, find it overwhelming every at times? Yeah, definitely. Especially once, um, like a couple months into launching, when we had a few more sales, uh, because there's you have that desire to respond right away, especially when you're just getting started and you don't know if it's going to work. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, it, and then if you're trying to also code, it's like, well, I'm trying to get in the zone and code, but I see that there's somebody with a problem and I want to make sure I get back to them fast so that they're not waiting too long. Um, so then that tends to break up your day and you're not as productive as you might otherwise uh, have been if your only job was to code, for instance. But you know, it comes with the territory. I think that's one of the big mistakes I made was not hiring a support person sooner. I definitely, I mean, we waited, I guess it was like three years um, or so. And Both of our first hires were, were support people. Yeah. No, I'm a big really? fan of hiring yeah. a support person first. But yeah, but, and, and you know, back when we started our companies, like, there wasn't as much of a culture or even access to part-time people, I think. Uh, there wasn't like all these sites where you could find people. So, I know nowadays, if I was doing everything again, I would definitely have hired a support person much earlier. Um, maybe not not day one or anything like that, but maybe six months in or definitely by a year in where everything was kind of stabilized and I knew everything was going on, even if it was just a part-time person because there's a lot of things that are just repetitive, like pricing requests, quote requests, how do you do X, Y, Z. So yeah. we could have eliminated all those with you know somebody to help out with support and okay, I'll just take the tricky stuff and um, you know the more business decision type issues and uh, leave the day-to-day stuff to somebody else. But, you know, so that was definitely a big mistake I made. So when you did finally hire your first person, was that a bit of a nightmare in terms of like figuring out tax logistics and requirements and forms? And see, it kind of scared. Yeah, I, I'm thinking like at the way <laughs> Laracast is going probably in the next year, I will want to pull on one or two people, and it sort of terrifies me a little bit just figuring out how to manage all of that. I, I swore to myself to this day that I will never hire anybody full-time again just because <laughs> of that. It is horrible. <laughs> There's no way around it. It's pretty horrible. I do think, again, new stuff that makes it somewhat less horrible, like that me and Andre didn't have the benefit of, or at least we weren't aware of. Now there's it's a lot more visibility. I think these type of things did exist, but... Um, for nowadays, for example, is HR companies where you can hire people. They're it's called like co uh, co employment, and they work for you, but they also work for them. And by doing it that way, they can provide like all the benefits. They deal with all the taxes. They deal with jurisdictions. They just are your HR department basically, mm-hmm. and you pay them. You know, it might be eighty dollars an employee a month or something like that, and it sounds like a lot of money, but really, it's the best eighty dollars you could ever possibly oh, spend. Oh, sounds because, cheap, yeah, yeah, because it's like that. Getting that stuff organized and dealing with your accountant and paying all these, you know, payroll taxes and all this stuff, uh, and then in our case, where everybody's remote, we have to register in all these states and we have to 
do a whole bunch of forms and paperwork. And every year we have to file taxes in all these states. So that's an extra, you know, thousand or oh, fifty. It just sounds so tiring. Yeah, where you're doing so much work cool. that's not even related to the product. Where it's yeah. like, oh, I worked all day, but I didn't actually improve the product at all because right. you're dealing with you know side <laughs> stuff. And that's what Jamie does now. Like she basically just full. She's not full time now either, but she spends about twenty hours a week um, just doing that stuff. So whether it's like healthcare, HR type stuff, dealing with the accountants, dealing with you know lawyer on different things, or or uh, different states who have questions, or you know with HelpSpot since we it's a download product, um, we collect sales tax in many of the states, so we have to report the sales tax every month. But sometimes it's only quarterly in some in some states, and so it's it's tons of just crazy stuff to deal with. There's That's also long, longer term effects after you start hiring. For example, uh, we hired somebody that we then let go after about a year and uh, uh, they went on uh, unemployment for a bit, like for three months and then they found another job. But because of that, our unemployment insurance rates went up like yeah. orders of magnitude. And those don't come down for like seven years. It's like a scaling down type of a thing. So we're mm. still paying like much, much, even though we're never going to hire like full time again, we're still paying much, much higher rate for unemployment insurance, even though it's like just me and my wife. Yeah. Or even just if the person leaves and um, they stay on COBRA for healthcare, which is like a way for those who don't know that you can stay on your existing healthcare plan for up to, I guess, 18 months or so. Um, while you don't pay for it as the employer, you are responsible for managing it. So basically, you have to have your employee send you a check or the healthcare administrator, if you have one, they have to get sent a check. And if the check isn't sent, you still have to deal with the employee to like make sure they're sending their check so their healthcare doesn't run out. So there's a lot of stuff that we never had anybody leave UserScape, luckily, but um, there's definitely a lot of stuff that goes on even beyond that. If you have 401k plan like we do, there'll be costs associated with that after the person leaves because you're still maintaining that 401k plan. So a lot of things like that where where nowadays, definitely if you use a co-employment setup or um, or if you also, if you kind of ease into it more, maybe with like freelancers or part-time, um, there are definitely some some advantages to that. It just scares me so much. Like I want to <laughs> put it off as much as I possibly can. Yeah. Also kind of like going back to what I was saying, like it, the one bonus to that is is that it's forcing me at Laracast to to do things that I would never normally do. So yeah. like everything from like analytics to I was buying um like little Twitter ads and Facebook ads the other day, stuff I would never ever even bother with. I'm suddenly having to do because there's nobody else there. So it's just a right. a ridiculously good uh, learning experience. Well, and hiring people, I mean, it does it does help you. Another benefit of hiring somebody early, if you can afford to do it, is I think it does help you get your business in shape a little bit better because you're going to you know, create processes for things and um, just even as the owner, detach yourself a little bit from it, which I think is overall a good thing. Like for me, I'm not very detached at all. And this is like my baby and I'm in there poking around at everything, uh, which is a negative for us sometimes because uh, you know, I could be thinking about other things or doing other things rather than still being kind of down in there. So recently, um, like with our latest hires with Chris and Alyssa, I've been trying to get better about that and leaving them a lot more on their own to, to do things. But, um, but yeah, that's another advantage where if you're not in it so long by yourself, I think it's going to force you to, even if it's just a part-time person or a contractor, 
force you to think through a lot of your systems rather than just handling everything yourself and get that stuff in place so that if you do get a little bit bigger, you know, that's all ready and you can just add people and off you go as opposed to having this, you know, figure all that stuff out when you have a few employees and it's much more complicated. Right. Right. I remember hiring uh, my first employee and like the biggest question, it's so stupid now that I think, but like the biggest question was like, when I was working for somebody else, I got like a packet of crap, like on my first day, like to fill out, right. like documents yeah. of all sorts. Like nobody told me what to give to this new hire. Like there's, there's no like, here's the stuff you give to this employee. <laughs> right. What am I supposed to give to them? You know? Well, that's even like interesting where we, uh, so up until this past year, when every year we do reviews, you know, with the employees and, like I've been writing up these reviews in like an HR fashion and just because that's what's always been done to me, you know? And this past year I was like, well, this is kind of stupid because nobody's going to see, like, I'm just sitting here talking with you anyway. We do a video kind of chat and we talk about the year and what's going, going forward and everything. And like, we're having the conversation. So I'm writing this thing up as if it's going to HR to be put in your file, but really, it's just a piece of paper that nobody's ever going to look at ever again. So <laughs> there's some things like that too, where I know my old school nature is just done silly stuff in the modern modern world. But uh, but yeah, there's there's so much to it that it it's uh, I mean it's a good problem to have, right? Like that the business is doing well enough that you have these things to consider. But it is very different when you're the one kind of making these calls versus just you know being the employee and not having to worry about all these little details. Um, that the man imposes on you for the most part and right. figuring, figuring all that stuff out. Now, now, what about communication? Like I know you guys use HipChat at Userscape, but do you, do you schedule things like Skype calls to actually hear each other's voices sporadically or none yep. of that? Yeah, we do. So we do generally, we do um, one-on-one video chats once a week. Uh, over the summer we have, uh, alternating Fridays off. So we haven't really done it much this summer. I normally do the calls on Fridays. Uh, but in the fall, we'll get back into that again. But yeah, basically, we uh, we have a, a Skype chat once a week. And just, uh, I, I don't it's not really too formal. It's just kind of shooting the breeze, but a chance to... Now, I people. heard what you were doing are formal scrum stand-up meetings, and you physically <laughs> force those people to stand in their homes while you're talking. <laughs> that would be cool. We should do that. No, no, we don't do that. And then we do. We should probably do more all together. Right now, we just do a quarterly meeting, all of us together. Um, and because we do like profit sharing, and so every quarter, like I just go over the numbers with everybody, and we, so we're all just on a Skype call for that. But uh, yeah, we should do that more often. But there's only so much time. That's the one of the nice things is that we have you know the Laracon, so we all kind of get together for Laracon each year now, and um, so it's nice to get that physical time to be together. And uh, that actually raises a good point. Like in terms of the numbers, do you are you completely open with everyone in the company in terms of like um, income and profit and stuff like that? Everyone knows that information. (sighs) Yeah. Yep. So every quarter, what we do is we organize the profit and loss statement out of QuickBooks that we use because we're old school and we haven't moved to zero yet or one of these fancy things. But uh. Yeah, so we, we have the profit and loss, and we go through all the numbers, so what our revenue was and all the expenses line by line, and uh, and just share all that. Because, I mean, 
I didn't, when we thought about doing it, we didn't used to do that when it was just, uh, we only had Rebecca first and we didn't even really think about it. Um, and we just did some kind of regular yearly bonuses that were just random because that's what bonuses usually are. <laughs> and then we were like, well, then we hired Taylor and Eric and we we're like, well, we should probably, you know, I hate these random bonuses because it's just random. Like, mm-hmm. so tying it to profit obviously makes sense, but if you're going to do that, just having a number come out of the air seems kind of silly. So uh, really have to kind of show the numbers for it to be meaningful. And then, you know, I always like the idea that people at Userscape are entrepreneurial and that, you know, some of these people are going to go off and have businesses of their own eventually. And um, so, you know, by going through the profit and loss, you kind of get a sense of what it takes, you know, to run a software business that's of a reasonable size and, you know, why are there, you know, things you never thought about, like lawyers and accountants and IP yeah. lawyers and, uh, you know, just brand, telephone bills and all this stuff when you see it broken out and how much it actually costs or even stuff like the healthcare bill. Like we pay 100% of everybody's healthcare, but, and so as the employee, I was like, oh, that's great. Like it's free, but it's not really free. It's really $80,000 a year. <laughs> so yeah. you see that there and um, you get some sense of, some of these benefits that are not always visible as the employee, um, you get a little more sense of some of those things, which I think is, is useful too. So, and, and, you know, if things start going south, then you'll be aware of that also. And we'll know if we have to uh, figure out something new to do. But uh, so far, it's worked out really well. And I like, uh, I like showing numbers. I think it's great because everybody's on the same page and, and aware of what's going on. So for both of you, like when you first started your businesses, did you feel, you know, like a fish out of water, like you were completely in over your head or did you guys feel a little more prepared? Uh, you want me to go first, Andre? Uh, um, yeah, I guess. I don't know how to answer <laughs> that. <laughs> well, see, I think it was better back then. Personally, I think it was better back then because I, I mean, it definitely was a total fish out of water and that we had no idea what we were doing. But I feel like there were a lot more people around who were starting real businesses in software and, and websites in general. And so there was a lot of information, whether it's like Joel Spolsky's and Eric Sinks of the world and um, the Business on Software Forum, which we talk about on here quite often, which was a place where people talked about starting real businesses that were profitable. And I feel like nowadays, so much of the talk is only about venture-backed companies and um, tro- and anybody who's starting a company is thinking about how am I going to make this you know, a billion-dollar company uh, not just a million-dollar company, which you'll do very nicely for the rest of your life if you have a nice million-dollar company, but you know, everything's focused on how do we grow to you know, be a billion-dollar company or get acquired for half a billion dollars or whatever. And so I, know, I feel like in a lot of ways that makes it harder because there's not as much useful information. There's tons more information, but there's less useful information if you want to just start a nice solid business first trying to build something that's you know going to be a huge monster of a business so i i also think it was easier uh i don't know if it's hindsight but i also think it was easier back then because but for a different reason it was because when you were starting um sort of bootstrapping um and you were doing sort of like tactical decisions day to day, what to do here, what to do there. You were sort of figuring it out as you go along and you know, this works to so do a little bit more of that and this doesn't work so you can drop it and try something else. But now it's like there's so much sort of like entreporn out there that you like you like you get you get overwhelmed with like advice that you know, it could be BS or it could be useful. And you, you just don't know that early in the game. The only thing you do know is that you try this thing and you have 40 articles telling you that's, that's wrong. 
and you try this other thing and you have 40 different articles telling you that that's wrong. And it's sort of like you could, you could find a piece of information and then 10 minutes later, just by a basic Google search, you could find the exact contradictory piece of information and both people made money off of it. So it's sort of like it was easier when um, you try, you had to figure your own path out rather than, rather than sort of having these things that are advice, but you don't really know whether they're, they're useful advice or they're just advice for the sake of sort of generating right. audience for themselves or whatnot. Oh, it's like for any scientific study you can find, you'll find another one that says the complete opposite. Right. So it's always like, well, I don't, that doesn't help me then if, if people just completely disagree on this stuff. Well, that's also one of the interesting things that's different, which Laracast has done a great job with is, you know, back then the business models were very different. And so we launched like, so Andre's launching a spam filter program for BlackBerry and charging 50 bucks a pop on a mobile phone. And I'm launching Userscape and charging 200 bucks a person upfront for licenses. And so, like our first month, we sold four thousand dollars. And so, right there, I know, oh, okay, like I can live on four thousand dollars because that's pretty much what I just make at my job anyway. And so, uh, we already are kind of rolling. Whereas most, you know, people starting business now are going to build a SaaS type application or um, something that's not so expensive, at least initially. And so, you have to really wait to get that money, which really changes the whole dynamic um, in terms of knowing if something's going to work or not. Like you're not going to know for a very long time unless you've somehow uh, built up an audience to be able to really launch well. So like Laracast has been able to get off the ground pretty quickly um, because you, you know, had a good targeted niche and you had a bit of a community who knew about you. And Right. And that's the thing. Like Laracast did do well in its first month. So it's not like like I, I was telling somebody the other day, if nobody knew who I was and I launched Laracast, it would probably be dead in the water right now. You know, so it's like Laric has did do well, but it's also building off of like five years of just steady right. <laughs> contribution in various forms, whether it's like uh, packages or or I've written a few books or magazine articles. So it's like five years of sort of building up like I, I hate to say it, but like personal brand. Yeah, like that's kind of true. And so at the point when Laracast launched, I already had this big community that I could say, hey, check this out, you know, right. and and I'm very fortunate for that. In many other situations for for lots of businesses, you just don't have that to get started with. So it's and much even, more difficult. And even that, it's like such a tricky thing that, to tell somebody to do, right? Because it's like, yeah, if Laracast has had, you know, whatever, in $81 in sales the first month or whatever, like that would be a problem. <laughs> you know, you'd be, okay, next month is 120. And, you know, so you could do it, but it would be a lot harder to get rolling that way. But on the flip side, it's just like you said, so you built this great audience, um, but that took five years. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's tricky. And there's a lot more planning in that regard too. I mean, when I started Usescape, I just quit my job. I had this idea. I built it for six months. And then we launched it. And I had a blog and I had 80 people on a mailing list and that was enough. And we sold some software up front and that was it. Um, whereas now, you know, if you're going to charge $9 or $15 or uh, whatever the case may be a month, you know, that's not, you can't have 80 people who know about it because right. you're not, you're going to sell to four of them. Like we did, we sold, I don't know, four or five, six sales or whatever it was, but it was still four or $5,000 and that was fine. Um, Whereas to get you know that five thousand dollars out of those nine people in a SaaS app is going to take five years or whatever, so uh, you kind of have to think about kicking you know how you're going to kick it up, and that's where you know a lot of people with the eBooks nowadays and um, 
I don't know, but even your ebooks, I feel like that was more you had already built the audience in other ways, and then the ebooks were kind of along the same lines of Laracast, where you had an audience and were able to sell into that uh, versus um, the ebooks making your audience so much. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, and that, and that's I guess one of the benefits to to get to getting excited about some of these technologies because you get in early, you you kind of have a leg up on most other people because you've been doing it longer, you're more familiar with it. So in the case of Laracast, it's like I just the simple fact that I've been using Laravel and PHP so long, it's just this massive benefit that most people, uh, especially people who are trying to get into this stuff, they just don't have that advantage. So yeah, it helps. Definitely helps. Yeah. But yeah, it's like launching Laracast, the huge amount of its success has nothing to do with the product itself. It's just like slowly building things up over a few years. It's like when they say somebody was an overnight success, some celebrity or something. It's like, yeah, but you didn't see the 15 years that they were doing little right. <laughs> theater work. You know, Most right. things are not an overnight success. It takes a very, very long time. Yeah, for sure. Now, with, uh, with the videos, so that's one of the interesting things about Laracast too is people are into videos these days in terms of like selling content, if you will, but it's often like the kind of throw in to make an ebook go from 60 bucks to 240 or whatever. It's like, yeah, I'll do two videos and we'll package it with some other stuff or whatever. But uh, so did you think about going that way or did you know just from the beginning Laracast it's just going to be all video? No, there's not really any, any text or anything like that in terms of the core in a perfect product. world, there would be text. Okay. Like I, I've been researching, um, uh, I'm sorry, um, subtitles or captions or mm -hmm. whatever, and it's just so expensive. It's not something I could even justify yeah. doing on my own. And so there are services that will that will do it relatively cheap. However, it gets a lot more difficult for code-specific tutorials yeah. because how is somebody going to transcribe where I'm like, all right, well, let's open up uh, PHP and then call this method. You know, it gets very, very difficult at that point. Right, they but need then, to understand it. Yeah, but then it, it gets tough because, you know, there are certain people who, for whatever reason, just can't learn from a video, whether they're blind or, or things like that. And I want to to help that, it's just a matter of, well, how much money am I willing to spend to get that to work? And does that amount justify, you know, helping 2% or 1% of the viewers? Right now, I just can't do it, but it, it's absolutely on my list. Um, in terms of just whether to choose kind of a writing style or video, it was definitely going to be video. And that's, it's exclusively because that's how I learn best. When I was really getting into this stuff, I'd read these books, and they were so over my head. So by the time I got to chapter four, I'd have no idea what was going on in these books. Yeah. And I'd find myself, especially like where I live in the world, there's not a huge amount of developers. So I'd find myself in these positions where I wish I could just grab somebody and put them next to me and say, please explain this to me. Right. Like, like my earliest memory of this was right when I was getting into like HTML years and years ago. I had no clue what a div was. I, it just made no sense to me whatsoever. And I, I remember thinking like, all right, I surround this within a div and nothing changes. So right. what is the reason for this existing? It's hard to go back and, and wonder like how I didn't understand it, but it just made no sense. And then I watched a video. This is a true story. I watched a video and it was like HTML for beginners, some kind of it wouldn't have been YouTube, but way long ago. Right. Maybe even Linda. I can't remember. This would have been eight, nine years ago or something. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, and some guy said, oh, when you, when you have a div, just think of that as a bucket. And that way, if you need to move the bucket around, you can just reposition the div. And then it was like the snap of a finger. I completely got it. Mm -hmm. And so I think it just comes down to, to preference. Some people really do learn better 
uh, with a book. And some people need that kind of visual interaction. And I'm the latter, so Laracast does video. It doesn't get much more complicated than that. <laughs> it's really well, like building what I would want, and then hopefully there's enough people like me. And yeah, that's great to be able to work on something that you either use yourself or would benefit from yourself. And uh, not everybody can do that, or, or has you know their products aren't in spaces where you know you want to build something in a space that's not for you. But um, that's awesome when that could be the case because it's it's very helpful if you see the same issues that your customers see, uh, and then you can can do things the way you'd want them to be done, which is uh, usually what works best. Yeah, it really um, helps. You can like, find those niches. A company I worked for a while ago, they had this thing where like the people who built the product, who were in charge of the product, didn't use it at all. Right. And it was like, well, it's no wonder that what you're doing really doesn't reflect what the people want. And as much as you can have somebody who's kind of like the, the middleman between the developer and the manager and then whoever's using it, you're, it's still, you know, it's I can't remember what that game is where you speak into somebody's ear and then by the time it gets to the end, yeah, it's telephone. different. Telephone, right. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was exactly that. So we would pass this information on to the developers and the managers, but the message would get lost and then they would kind of go on with what they thought was uh, appropriate. And then we got to a point where it just, it kind of folded because, I mean, they weren't using it. And it's like anytime right. <laughs> you're building something that you don't use, I think there's a huge cause for alarm. At that point, I, I, that doesn't. Uh, it's not only exclusive to the um, uh, larger companies. I have to admit that I have a very difficult time using my own software. Really? Like even even mature apps that I've even even sort of like apps that I've used uh, that weren't released as products, just for, that I built myself. After I developed them into like more mature products and I released them as products, I stopped using them for a while until like I have to force myself to start using the app as my users are using it, like in the same way, because it's sort of like, um, it has something to do with like, you don't want to know how the sausage is made type of an effect. Um, <laughs> it's almost, I would rather use somebody else's inferior product because I don't, I don't want to see the code path in my head. Like I see the code path in my head when I use my own stuff. And it bothers me. So I have a really, I have a lot of trouble using, like, it doesn't matter if it's a web app or a mobile app or whatever. I have to, like, force myself to start using it a lot in order to see what, what the bugs are. Do you think Absolutely. it's sort of like you're you're overly critical of your own work, so it's like you can't even enjoy it because <laughs> you're pointing out everything that's wrong and everything that you didn't think of? Yeah, it's sort of like I see where the pixel is off. or It's not like I, I have to have it be perfect before I release it, but I see where, um, or, you know, like 2% of the time, this thing, this thread here blocks incorrectly and there's going to be a crash. So now like I'm crossing my fingers and I'm using, what well, is a person who's not aware of the fact that there's like a locking mechanism in that part of the code will just be using it. And maybe somebody once a year will report, you know, there's a deadlock there or something and, and I'll finally get the, the right debug log and I'll be able to figure that out. But I'm aware of that locking mechanism being there all the time. So every time I press that button, I have a hard time sort of like continuing with the software. So like, that's no way to use a piece of software being like completely aware, like every bit of its internals. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. It's funny. Well, it's kind of like even <clears throat> here we have the culinary Institute of America, which is a very kind of famous culinary school, but the kids like kind of famously, <clears throat> excuse me, often just eat at McDonald's and like crap <laughs> because they're like, whatever we cook all day and we don't want to deal with food. So we just eat garbage and that's it. Even though they could make themselves, you know, 
whatever fancy stuff they want. But yeah, there is something there. That's funny. So uh, what are some – well, I guess in terms of being involved in the community, I think that's one of your unique aspects too. And what is I always find really unique about you is that you always really stand out because a lot of, let's call them you know, internet famous developer types are often have strong personalities and often kind of have people who love them and hate them and uh, – but you're super nice. You're like the nicest guy. And every time I hear you like on a podcast or anywhere in person when we've been at Laracons, like, you know, you're just like, hey, let's all get along and everything's fine and we're all learning together and we're all happy. Like, it's an interesting attribute you have. So I don't know if you have, like, if that's something you actively do or, or obviously it's just your nature, but um, I don't know, being involved in a community, getting involved in communities, like, do you have tips on how to get started with that? Because if other people want to emulate this kind of, um, whether Just it's open be source nice. or <laughs> I feel like life is too short for everyone to be a jerk, you know? Right. <laughs> like, I know exactly what you're talking about. Some of the, the internet famous people where it's like, you either love them or hate them. And right. sometimes these people are making a brand off of that idea. You know, Definitely. like, um, uh, first person that comes to my mind is, is uh, the tw- his Twitter handle is Grumpy Programmer. And from what I hear, <laughs> I've never met him. From what I hear, he's just a sweetheart, you know, in person. But online, his kind of brand is he's angry and pissed off all the time. And, right. and that's fine. But <laughs> I don't know. It's just not what I would pick. I don't know. I, I feel like, especially for, for coding, like, it is so hard, you know? And I feel like I need as much help as I can possibly get. And I want to help, like, my former self. Because when I was learning, sort of like you were saying earlier, when I was learning all those years ago, these resources weren't available at all. So you were actually going to Barnes and & Noble and, and choosing a book, and you had, you know, 200 different choices, and that's how you were learning. There was no Twitter community. You couldn't tweet the author of some book and have him answer your question. It just wasn't there. So it was so much harder, and I'd find myself, like, beating my head against the wall. Sometimes I'd stay up till 4 in the morning trying to figure out why something wasn't working because – I guess I'm a, a little OCD, and it's like I'd rather fix this, and then I can relax. But if I just put it up and do it tomorrow, I'm going to think about it all night. So I'd, I'd be up till 4 in the morning trying to figure it out. And then once I finally did, I'd want to make sure that I'd share it so anyone else would know, oh, if you encountered this bug, this is what the problem was. You know, it's, so it's sort of this pay-it-forward program, you know, kind of right. – especially in our, in our community, I think it's – so prevalent, you know, like just countless blog articles and, and books and people release open source stuff for free. I talked to my mom about this and she can't fathom right. <laughs> why we do this stuff for free. So like she um, she she's a songwriter and she, she's had some a good amount of success. And I was telling her, like, why don't you like create a blog to, to, to talk about this stuff? And she just can't understand why she would ever do that. Right. Why and give I'll, away the secret sauce? And it's, yeah. Well, it's hard for me to explain and I don't know if I can when she says, well, why would you ever do that? What's the point? And it's like, I don't, I don't know what the point is. It's just to, I don't know, be part of a community so that you can, I, I don't know. I can't explain why we do this stuff. Right. Taylor spends so much time working on Laravel. Why does he do it? Is it vanity? I don't think so. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it goes much far beyond people like building stuff, you know, yeah. and Maybe if Laravel is successful, he will as a result. But I don't think that's the fuel for it. I think at the end of the day, we just like building stuff. And we don't need to complicate it more than that. So that has nothing to do whatsoever with your question. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just a personality type. I don't know. I just but, things, are, things are hard in life. Life is very short. 
we don't need to be rude. I don't like the arrogance. Like some people are so incredibly arrogant. If you if you don't do it this way, you're an idiot. And right. tons people, of that in the, in the lear, learning space. And, absolutely, and programming. people I hugely respect, and and rightfully so. Maybe they're entitled to their opinion, but it's sort of like we're in the infancy stage of this stuff. You know, like ten years ago, we were coding for IE five or six. I mean, browsers that we think are complete junk, we were using not that long ago. So we're still in the, the infancy, infancy stage. Yeah. So there's so much more to learn. All the stuff of like test-driven development, is that a good or not? Who knows? You know, we're still trying to figure this stuff out. So there's, I don't feel like there's any point to have just these incredibly strong opinions when you just don't know. It may work for you and that's fine to present that, but I don't know, to be arrogant and tell people they're doing things wrong. And I don't know, it doesn't mix with me at all. Well, when you brought up a, another interesting point kind of in there, um, like I'm, I always, when I first uh, was telling my mother-in-law actually about hiring Taylor and she was like, this sounds like the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Like you're going to hire this guy who makes something he gives away for free. And she'd be like, how are you going to make money on it? And I'm like, well, we're not going to make money. She's like, well, is it going to cost you money? I'm like, yeah, because you know he's a de- making developer wages, and then we do some other stuff around it, you know, time. But you know, we've spent actual money too on websites and things. And she's like, I don't get any of it. <laughs> and you know what? She has a perfect point, though. Like when you when you hear them say it, it makes sense. Right. Like, oh, right. this does sound weird. But then, like, I think you you are completely the right one in that discussion. But I totally get what they're saying. Why would you pay somebody to to work one day a week on something that you don't own that benefits other? Like, why would right. you ever do this? But it was the right thing to do. It's almost like I don't necessarily believe in things like karma, but I I think there is some truth to it where it's like, okay, you're giving back to the community, so that's going to come around and and return itself to you. I think there's definitely truth in that. I think it's just that it creates net value, and and sometimes it's just difficult to see in what way sort of like this creation of net value comes down to like like actual revenue that's specific local to the company, but you see it all over the place in various examples that like just the creation of value sort of uh, brings benefit to like everyone involved. Well, and I think it all kind of ties together with this whole conversation. I feel like in the sense of nowadays you have to take a little bit more of a leap of faith at times. I feel like, you know, like here, we're going to make this leap of faith and support this open source product. We may just lose hundreds of thousands of dollars and have nothing to show for it. Or, you know, like it's, you know, coming along where it's gotten bigger. And so, you know, Laracons are getting bigger and we can do things like Laravel, Lara jobs. And, um, you know, there's other things that creep up along the way that start to return at least some of that investment. Um, but you have to take this like longer term outlook. And it's the same with on a personal level. Like you have to take that leap of faith that if you start a blog and you make it interesting and you build that audience up over three years, that then you're going to have something that, you know, has some value that you can do different things with first, uh, maybe 10 years ago or 20 years ago where you just, oh, I just have a product idea and I'm just building the product and that's it. And you could just, you could just do that. And that was enough. But now that's not, it's not so much the case because everybody's found the internet and everybody knows how to write code. So you need to bring more value than just I know how to write code to, you know, to the problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think so many times like people when it comes to – I mean I'm the last one to talk about this stuff. But my instinct on this is like 
people want to overcomplicate businesses, businesses and stuff. And it's like, at the end of the day, I feel like it kind of comes back to your gut instinct. You know, like for whatever reason, you had a gut instinct that you should invest in Laravel and Taylor and it's paid back in spades, you know, like so Laracast, I just had a gut feeling that this would do well. Yeah, no real so- reason to say why, but you just trust it and maybe you fail a bunch of times, but I don't know. Yeah, I'm big on gut. I love the gut. People hate <laughs> the gut nowadays. Like the gut is like the number one enemy of like growth hackers and all these people who are running around measuring every little thing. But like I- I'm big on gut instinct. Yeah, exactly. Like the, the company I worked before, Laracast, like we had tons of like uh, research and analytics and, and stuff that was like $10,000 a month to pay to get these incredibly complex reports and stuff. Right. And I have no doubt that that's going to be beneficial. But it seemed like so many times at the end of the day, just somebody who had a good gut instinct, somebody who is part of the community related to whatever you're selling, I would trust that more than, than so many of these you know, reports and analysis and stuff like that. And yeah. it pays off many, many times. You just have to find the right person who's, who's really, um, you know, submerged themselves in these communities. So for example, like when I worked for, I managed a, uh, a marketplace called theme forest. And at this point it's like the mar- the largest theme marketplace on the planet. Right. But back then, like we just didn't know what was going to happen. So in terms of like categories and what you offer and was WordPress going to be a big thing, we had a gut feeling that it would be. And then it turned into this thing where WordPress themes, like commercial WordPress themes were going through the roof and they yeah. were leading the company, you know, like to the point where if that went away, the, the profit from just WordPress themes went away, the company would be in big trouble. Right, And so, so much of that stuff, like we didn't know. It's just sort of, you have a gut, why don't we try this? And then it went through the roof. And it's not more complex than that. It's not like we were doing tons of reports and research on what other companies are doing and and um, how, you know, bar graphs of which products are doing well or which open right. source CMSs were doing well. It doesn't factor into it. It's just your gut feeling. All right. So, I got I to gotta ask you one more question here. So, but it- we put out an hour, Andre, which is usually Andre's phrasing. But, uh, so the thing that – all this stuff we talked about aside, the thing that really makes it at the end of the day – so you can have all this stuff in the audience, the community, blah, blah, blah. But you still have to deliver the product. And Laracast, each video is spectacular, right? So it's awesome. Like it's everything you want it to be. You're seamless with it. So – what can you say for people who want to do videos? They, even I would like to do more videos on the site and things, but it's always like, oh, video, like, it's just such a disaster. Like, I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to have to record the audio later and put it all together and edit a bunch of crap out and uh, forget it. And But yours are very natural. Like, yours are not highly edited. Yes, um, they are. <laughs> are they? No, there they go. See, I don't know it, what I'm talking about. It's but a lot more complex so than it sounds. Uh, well, like, like really... They, on Give me one some hand, tips to make it semi less complex. How about that? On one hand, they're super simple. Like I'm not doing on camera work. I'm not doing slides. I'm not doing diagrams. Right. So stuff like I could do that, but once again, like me running Laracast just by myself. Well, if I want to do all of that stuff, yeah, I can do it. But now I'm releasing a tenth as many videos as I would be because it takes right. so much more work. Right. So. For this stuff, I I just want to drill it down to, like, what do you really want out of this? You want the content. So, yes, I could spend a bunch of money buying recording equipment to film my face, but is that really helping you at the end of the day? Right. No, it's it's really not. So my idea is, like, all right, break it down 
as much as possible. Condense it as much as you can without it actually being too fast. I struggle with that a lot. Is it too fast? Mm. Um, but on the flip side, what most people do is it's too slow. Where, like, if you've ever watched any kind of code video yeah. tutorial on YouTube where it's 60 the minutes guys, of pain. Uh, next, now we're going to um, – and then sometimes they'll just get up and walk away for 10 seconds take a drink. <laughs> and so my thinking was like, all right, you have to respect the audience or treat the viewer of the video as if – well, this is the truth. You're battling Netflix and Hulu and family for their attention. So if you're just going really slow and, and you're just not moving quickly enough, they're going to lose interest and press stop. I know myself well enough because I watch video tutorials all the time. It's going to happen. So I, I'm – you wouldn't believe this, but each video has like 100 edits within it. Really? And that's – yeah. Like it takes oh, me a long paint, time. You're ruining my whole vision of this. It's like you're just a genius who no. does this in one take. <laughs> I'd love to say I hit record and it's just perfection. But right. you know, it, it doesn't work that way. So many times you're, when you're coding, you'll, you'll hit some point and it just doesn't work and you have no idea why. And it, it's something stupid you miss, and you're just having a brain freeze. But, you know, that stuff happens when I'm doing videos, too. And luckily, you know, you have the pause button. Or, you know, if if I can't figure something out, I'll take a minute or two and figure out what the problem is. And then when I'm editing it, I just slice it out. Done. Right. You know, so it's it feels seamless for the viewer, and that's how it should feel. But for me, you know, uh, I have the luxury of taking my time a lot. So, yeah, so many things. Like, I don't – when I'm recording – it's not like I, I write the code and then later I do a second uh, pass where I do the, the audio. I definitely don't do that because right. many of the times, like especially for education, the, the little anecdotes you can provide are more beneficial than the actual subject matter. Right. So little things like, oh, by the way, did you know in this editor if you hit that, then you can immediately generate the method. Little stupid fragments like that. Well, if you did the video afterward uh, – I'm sorry, if you did the audio after, that makes it a little more difficult. So I do everything all at the same time, mm -hmm. but, I, but I take time to breathe. So when I finish up a method, I'll, I'll pause for 30 seconds and just kind of think, okay, how do I want to do this next? And then I keep going, and then I edit out those 30 seconds. Right. So little things like ums and ahs. Like I, I say that a lot. I hate that about myself that <laughs> I will go, uh. You know, we all do it. Yeah. But when I'm doing a screencast, I'm very sensitive to that. So you'll probably have trouble finding that at all. And if it does enter a sentence, I will either edit it out or I'll just repeat the sentence four times. I do that a lot with like intros where I'm trying to introduce some kind of topic, but that's hard, you know, to, to actually introduce something so people can understand it and, and compile it down to two sentences. That's really right. tough. So many times I'll, I'll take six different attempts to do it, and then I just edit out the five bad ones and continue on. So with that method, I can do these fairly quickly at this point. Professional voiceover people do that also when they record. They just right. say a line like 10 different ways all in a row and then they let the editor take out whatever they like. Yeah, and in this case, I, I'm... The voiceover the and the editor, so <laughs> I don't worry about it too much. Do you, hey, Andre? Yes, sir. You gotta turn off your crazy air conditioner. It's not my computer going nuts because I turned off my air conditioner an hour ago and my fans are busting at <laughs> me. What's wrong with you? Sorry, I can't do it. Um, Either got the air conditioner or the computer CPU going nuts. So pick one. Uh, right. So you don't you don't pre-script them or anything, right? You just, you make not some not. notes or whatever. I'm, I'm honestly just sort of a slacker. It, it turns out well, but I, I, am, I take a very lazy approach to it. So at most, all I will do is I may have like a demo set up already. So if it's something like 
like I had this kind of little beginner two-part series on if somebody wanted to build a URL shortener, just something simple to show them like, all right, here's your process. I'll build that ahead of time. And then that way I have my notes basically on my other screen that I can refer to. But a lot of times, especially just with, um, I don't know, ideas and and things like um, if I cover the Laravel's IOC container, I don't really have notes. I'm just sort of just going at it on the fly. And like I said, sometimes I'll... I'll start over and do it again. But I feel like sometimes that's the best way to teach someone when you're just having to say it right on the fly, you know, and you don't have something pre-scripted. Because when when you – if you write a script ahead of time, especially for this kind of stuff, obviously if you're doing a commercial, that's totally different. But for educational stuff, in my mind, if you pre-script it, everyone knows. It just feels scripted. It feels formal. And that's not what I wanted for Laracast. I wanted it to feel like – I'm your buddy. I wanted to feel like I'm sitting right next to you showing you how to do this stuff. And if I had a script, I'd kill all of that. You know, so there's such a, there's such a contrast. Uh, like, I think you have to know your audience because, you know, like, programmers learn all the time. Like, that's like second job is just to learn about the stuff that becomes your first job tomorrow. Right. And uh, when, when I taught a semester of college and one time somebody asked a question, it was a Unix course, Unix and Perl development course. And one time somebody asked the question about some obscure Perl. Perl is hard enough as it is, but somebody asked the question about some obscure piece of syntax. And, and I honestly said, you know, I don't recall. I have to, I, no, I have to look it up and I'll, I'll tell you tomorrow or I'll tell you next lecture. I'll send you an email, right? And I said that like once in the first quarter of the semester. And then at the end of the semester, I'm reading the reviews because students leave the reviews for their professors. And like the first review that came in is like, a professor should never say they do not know about something and like i was completely heartbroken because that was honest like i don't remember the syntax to this i will tell you in an email i'll tell you next time but that completely threw the students off uh i disagree i'd say you were completely right on that one i don't know i i kind of respect it more when somebody it's sort of like you go to a conference and then at the end of somebody's talk you ask questions i respect the people who say honestly i'm just not sure otherwise like when you can tell they're not positive, but BS is just kind of spewing from their mouth because they're, right. they're desperately trying to answer a question while while a big light is on their face and sweat is quietly pouring down their face. Right. You know, like I just respect to say, oh, I'm not sure. I, I think about that a lot with Laracast. Like many times, I don't know, like I, I try to be open if it's something I'm still researching. Like one of the series I'm doing right now is, is kind of on this command-oriented architecture. I think you guys are doing it using it for layer jobs. Right. And it's still something like we're trying to figure it out. There are some really cool ideas, but the community is kind of figuring out, well, how can we do this but not make it too complex? Or, you know, it's, it's pretty confusing stuff. But what was I going to say about this? Oh, yeah. Like when I do videos on it, I want to show people like, here's what I'm, I'm thinking. Here's what I'm studying and the ideas I have. But it's open for discussion. And if you were just to say, like, every – once again, going back to that idea, like, this is the right way. This is the way you do it. I don't necessarily agree with it. And, right. Ian, I know, like, once you playfully chastised me because I, I would say that at the end of – the <laughs> Before I got it. Yeah, I, I try to drill that in. Like, we're still figuring this stuff out. And when you don't do that, people treat it like dogma. And then suddenly because this person said it, that's the way everyone's supposed to do it. And then you can have these massive effects on – kind of the community if you just get a few influential people who tell you this is the way to do it. So eh, it's tough. Which, that's the really careful. cool part about Laracast and the kind of daily updates is that 
you can take that approach because then you can come back later and do you know update the video or have a new video on it with a different approach and it's not here is my one you know course on x and this is forever how it shall be it's much yeah. more of an evolving curriculum exactly. of i record old videos all the time so if it's like, oh, this is the way I used to do it, because think about it, like, I don't think there's any developer who wouldn't look at their code from five years ago and say, what's that, you know, right. mm-hmm. and the same is going to be true for me in five years from now, I'm going to do things differently. So I'm very sensitive to the idea that old videos at Laracast need to be updated to reflect what I would currently do. And so go ahead. Are you ever going to be done? No. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> at some point, your wife is going to. At some out. point, your wife is going to tell you, "We got to take a real vacation." Enough of this. <laughs> well, that's yeah. done. He can't, he's never doing that. That's <laughs> I'm getting better at that. I, these, like, like I was saying, the 30 minutes in the morning and then the 30 minutes or an hour at night. That does help. It sucks yeah. because I'm on vacation, but I don't hate this stuff enough, you know. Right. So it's, that's it's, a sacrifice. Yeah, it's just it's worth it. I get to work from home. I get to make all the decisions. At the last right. company I worked with, sometimes we'd have these these conference calls and there were so many people at that point where it would just be some simple thing like I think we should, you know, add a new round of testimonials or something. And then right. it would always be like, well, everyone think on that and let's talk about it again next week. Right. <laughs> so these little basic things ended up taking a month just to get somebody to give the okay. It just drove me nuts. Yeah. Uh, and I guess that's just when you have so many people contributing, you have to do that. But I don't know. I hated it. I love that like at Laracast because it's me, I am pushing stuff to production at 2 in the morning if I'm working. Not saying I always do, but I have that right. luxury. Yeah, I'm not can, always yeah. – sending an email to 20 people asking, you know, what do you think about what if we did this? I can just do it. And sometimes, like, I shouldn't do it at all. I'm going to make lots of mistakes. But I, I like that I can do that uh, at this point after so many years of not being able to. Well, that's like I kind of – I felt slightly bad after I did it. But I sort of made a little – poked a little fun at the Zendesk CEO today on Twitter because I this guy that. yeah, he is, like, constantly tra- – and I've known him forever. But – I mean, all he does is travel. I mean, every day he's got a picture of, you know, he's in the Philippines, he's in Tokyo. He's a, and like, I'm like that, I don't know. Like, that's just so not appealing. Like if that's what it, it's one thing to travel. Obviously, if you were the head of a big company, you could travel more than I do or have to. But I mean, he travels continuously. And I'm like, you know, that's a, that's just so not appealing to be forced to like haul your butt halfway around the world because a new office is opening or you hired 10 new employees or you're whatever at some weirdo enterprise summit of something or other. Like it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's nice to be able to run your business the way you want to and just keep it as small or large as you want. Obviously they were more on the make it large tip, but, uh, there are sacrifices to that, I think. So also to have the luxury to, to make mistakes, you know, it's not like it has to be the perfect decision. Maybe it does end up ultimately being a little more work, but I like the idea that like I can try something and and make mistakes. Like for example, at Laracast, I'm not, I'm not a designer, you know, so I'm really working at this stuff and it's just not what I'm trained in. So I, I try out a lot of things and many times like it just crashes and burns and, and I'm okay with that. You know, like Laracast yeah. isn't Amazon. I don't have to worry about that. Right. <laughs> so I'm okay. I'm okay with making mistakes and, and trying things out and not spending a month, you know, negotiating with a manager over whether we can add some, you know, silly feature. Yeah, the site changes a lot. That's definitely something I noticed, which is really cool. 
So oh, I'm sure plenty of people would say that's a bad idea. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. In to some, some extent it is. I can understand. Like you want to feel like it's similar. It doesn't change that much. Just little tweaks here and there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It takes that me a lot great. longer. Was there uh, anything else you wanted to cover, Jeff? No, no. I, I think that, that was actually a lot of fun. Where, awesome. where, where can people reach you other than uh, Laracast.com? Uh, you can reach me on Twitter. My username is Jeffrey Way. I don't know. <laughs> Jeffrey underscore way. I don't know. You'll right. find it one or the other, but mostly yeah. at Laracast. Um, yeah, I'm around. Awesome. Well, Sounds thanks a lot good. for coming on. It was great having you. I think uh, I like this. It's kind of a different angle from uh, our normal interviews. I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's just fun to have people on that don't know anything about what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just, all of us. That's everyone. <laughs> uh, that's everyone. We're all faking it. Sorry. All right. <laughs> thanks, all right. Jeff. Thank you guys so much. Thanks. Have a good one. Talk to you later. Bye. Jeff.